0: could be said that of all of the chapters that we've covered so far, this is the easiest to preach, this chapter. It may be in the entire book of Leviticus, this may be the easiest sermon to preach, but I think it might in fact be the hardest to apply. This is one of the most challenging sermons that you will hear, I believe, in Leviticus, even though we've covered some really weighty topics already. And so as much as I'm excited to preach this, I'm also aware this is a this is a high bar that the Lord calls us to. And uh, so Holy Relationships, part two, chapter 19 in in Leviticus. Let me just set the chapter up by reading uh, some words from Jesus in his quoting uh, from this chapter. In fact, Jesus quoted from this chapter more than any other place in the Old Testament. Isn't that amazing? Leviticus 19. Who would have thought? He's asked the question, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus responded and says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then he adds this. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. So in these two commandments, we have the sum up of all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. The natural inclination is love yourself. That's not the concern here. He's not telling us we need to ratchet up the self-love. That is instinctual for sinners. That's not a problem. He's saying we need to ratchet up the love for others, the love for the neighbors. And so let's build that out as we dig into these verses. First, let's begin with the first eight verses. Love God, love God. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord, your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. He goes on. When you sacrifice, when you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It it will not be accepted and everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord and that person shall be cut off from his people. Let's step back and look at the the overview of these things. Here is an amazing thing to see. We have three of the the first four commandments mentioned of the Ten Commandments kind of reiterated here in these passages. No other gods. No idols. Honor the Sabbath. And then commandment five, with a little tweak on the word. I I like this. Not honor your father and mother, but revere, revere. It builds it out for us. Revere it. Revere. And then the order is switched. And that's not inconsequential either. I think there's an emphasis here that is significant. And so it's not just honor your father or revere your father, oh, and also your mother. In this passage, The the order is switched. Revere your mother and your father. In a sense, the call here is to fear them. Fear them. But it's in connection with your fear of God. The authority in your lives when you are a child is the parent that God has placed over you. Your, Your father, your mother, your mother, your father. And the way that you interact and respond to them is shaping your understanding and the channel through which you are actually honoring and revering God. And then benevolence in worship. I was struck by this, the connection. You almost see the bridge happening. The first four commandments are vertical in their interaction. And then from then on out, five through 10 are are all about the way we love one another. So you always begin with this vertical interaction and then you move out. Look at this benevolence in worship when you offer peace offerings? Well, we go back to the peace offering. You remember that that was the one sacrifice that you were to say to your family, come and join, even friends, come and join. We will celebrate. This is a feast that we will celebrate together. So you could see someone offering a a peace offering to the Lord and saying, I like the meat of this offering. I don't want to share it. I don't want to share it, so I will eat as much as I can on this day. And then I get one more day and I'm going to eat a little more. But there's leftovers in the third day. I know he said we're not supposed to, but I don't want to share it. I'll keep it for myself. And the third day, he says, if you eat meat from the peace offering on the third day, you are to be cast out. The heart of this is not about the day. It's about the heart of the sacrificer, the benevolence to say, come celebrate with me. Let me share of this sacrifice with you. So you see this move. It begins with our love for the Lord, and it moves immediately on on out to our neighbor. Hmm. I could say it this way. Holy living is the gospel-powered overflow of holy loving the beauty and glory of God. You see the connection here. It's an amazing interplay of of holiness and love that come together in Leviticus 19 in a very stunning way. The call is from the beginning, be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. But the way that we see God, our love for him, the first four commandments, our delight to obey those, in a sense, they equip us to overflow then in love for our neighbor. And I added gospel power to this. Initially, I didn't have that in there, but for us, it's so important to understand this. This isn't mustered up from within us. We don't have the strength, the wherewithal, the resolve, the resource in and of ourselves to honor God in obedience to these commandments unless they are gospel powered They flow from confession, repentance, and and a heartfelt obedience to love God, and obey Him, and serve Him. So, holy living is the gospel-powered overflow of holy, loving God. You see this all over the Psalms. Psalm 119 is filled with this kind of expression. Uh, Psalm 40 here, listen to the psalmist. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Do you see the connection of love for God? I love to do your will. There's a relationship that is the, uh, the, the, the strong uh, source of strength that, that flows then in obedience. Because I love you, I delight to do what you say. So you could say it this way. If when you look at your life, if you feel a disconnect between your delight to obey God there is likely a disconnect in your love for him. You see how important it is to keep these connected. You can just be mechanical and robotic. Well, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to, and and all of a sudden, the Christian life becomes a list of do's and don'ts. It was never intended to be that. The do's and don'ts, we don't throw away, however. We love the do's and don'ts because we love him. That's the difference between empty, pharisaical religiosity and true relationship that loves to obey, delights to obey the Lord. It is so important that we guard this. So many churches will run down the track of just check the box and do this and don't do this and make sure you avoid this. And it's just mechanical. But where's the heart? Jesus always went to the heart. He emphasized, where's your heart? You do all these things, but your hearts are far from me. In vain do you worship me. So your heart is the key. Begins with love for God, and then it overflows with love for others. Love others. Verses 9 through 18. And then as I studied, I saw 32 to 36 also kind of ringing these themes and so i kind of wove those verses in as we go through so five displays of a love for others i want to build these out let's start uh with a uh, a, just a, a wonderful connection here kevin DeYoung said it this way love is holiness lived out for the good of others isn't that great you see how they come together love is holiness lived out for the good of others. Think about this. God is holy, holy, holy. Three times holy. And God is love. Do you see the connection here? God is not loving in the sense that he has love. God is love. The isness of God is love. And holy, holy, holy. They're inseparable. So when we understand the beauty of his holiness, we are at the same time embracing and understanding the beauty of his love. Holiness lived out for the good of others is love. It's a wonderful thing that helps us understand how this comes together. Why is it so important that we love God? Because when we love his holiness, we, f- we understand what love is. God defines love, not the other way around. So number one, love is generous. Listen to these commands. These are, these are beautiful love, uh, just f- overflowing commands. Verse nine, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Okay, now, do you hear his heart? That that, that last statement is a statement that connects command with heart. The heart of God is this. So do it. Don't be like the rest of the world that says, listen, every single grape is mine. I grew it. I'm gonna gather it. I'm gonna make it mine. I'm not gonna share it. I'm not gonna look for ways to bless. I'm gonna look for ways to to build and consolidate and hoard. Hmm. There were no fast food restaurants back in the day. If you were on a journey and you were moving your way through the land, and you came into Israel, this would have been amazing. You were depending upon people obeying this command, purposefully leaving the corners of their fields unharvested. They wouldn't go back and pick up the stuff that fell. They would leave it. Hmm. You could call this deliberate generosity. Deliberate generosity. In our context, most of us are not uh farmers we don't have fields and we don't have a lot of people who are out you know wandering around in our fields and and eating the grapes that fell or or harvesting the grain but think about how how you budget okay you budget this way how could we collectively together over and above our commitments of tithing and giving to the church this is a separate thing how could we carve out some corners of our budget And leave them unharvested, right? How could we find ways to to leave some gleanings in our budget? Almost like a a personal benevolence fund within each family. And the goal is, let's be deliberate. What can we do to bless somebody? What opportunity might the Lord give us? So we've been purposeful and strategic. We've planned. We've got some money set aside. There's a need. Oh my goodness. We can meet that need. We could do that. This happens all the time in this church. Sometimes I get to be the guy that goes between because they want to do it secretly. They're like, here, here's an envelope filled with cash. Can you give it to this person? Don't tell him I did it. It's for the glory of God. I heard about a need. Can you do this? Or from time to time, we'll say, hey, we know of a need. Is there anybody who's able to do this? It's not just money. Sometimes it's time and skill, labor. Deliberate generosity. It's one of the things that sets the people of God apart. We live in a day that is so quick to grab and glean every possible little corner. Take it all. It's mine. Grab it. Keep it. God's people can stand out. Specifically, those who are poor or sojourners those who are in a situation in life where they're they're struggling. That happens both in the church and outside of the church. You may come across a situation this week, and God has set it up to put you there with the corners of your field available. And you see the situation, and you say, you know what? I can do something. I can meet this need. To the glory of God, Matthew 5, 16, right? may your works let your light shine before men so that then when they see your good deeds they what they glorify you no they glorify your father who is in heaven so when you do these things praise the lord god's been so good to me i love finding opportunities to bless other people and point them up to him right awesome stuff it's fun to do this it's really fun As a family, talk about it. Hey, guys, what can we do? Do you guys know of anybody that we can bless? Any needs out there? Anything happening? What can we do? It's really fun. We have been blessed to be a blessing. And in an American mindset, right? The American dream, go get it, grab it, make it, save it. We can stand out. We are not called to be pots. We're called to be pipes. We're not ca- called to be cauldrons. Just store it and gather it. We're called to be channels of God's blessing. What or not? That's love. It's love, both inside the church and outside. Second point, love is honest, Verses 11 through 13 and 35 and 36. "You shall not steal." There's another command, right? From the big Ten. You shall not deal falsely. There's another one. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely. There's another one. The third commandment. And so profane the name of God. Man, these commandments just keep echoing out. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until morning. Hmm. Lying and stealing go hand in hand. They really do. In this scenario, you have a worker who hires day laborers in the morning. He says, listen, if you work this many hours, I will pay you this much. They come back after working all day in your field and you say, I'll pay you tomorrow. And they go home hungry because they were banking on that day wage. And you have the money and you misled them. It's selfish. It's dishonest. And you're stealing from God. You're stealing. Your offense is not just this way. It's this way as well. You're misrepresenting his name. To swear by his name is to break the third commandment. When you dishonor his name, listen, I, by the name of the Lord, will pay you at the end of the day. And then you don't do it. That's a huge problem not just between the two of you. Christians stand out as loving as we tell the truth and give what we are called to give. We are to be truth tellers. We live in a day that is filled with deceit and lies and twistings of truth and partial truths and that we are to be those that tell the truth. If we don't tell the truth, in this area of business or this transaction over here? How can we be counted upon to tell the truth in the most important life and death consequential message of the gospel? The degree to which we are known as people of our word and truth tellers is the degree to which our evangelism will be trusted and empowered. Truth tellers tell the truth. We love God and we love others when we're honest. Now, another verse here. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or width or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, a just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You read through the Proverbs and you see this show up again and again. It was extremely common, almost expected that in this day you would have unjust weights. So you would go and you would measure your grain and you would pour a certain amount of grain in the uh, one side and then the weights were supposed to be used to calculate how much grain am I purchasing? Well, if you carve the weight out or you add in extra weight underneath and you use a false weight, you're skimming You're skimming profits. You're ripping people off. It's an abomination, God says. He hates it. He hates it. And he calls his people out from their context. Don't be like those around you. I called you out of Egypt. Don't do that anymore. Yeah, you were there for 400 years. Sure, everybody does it, but not my people. Not my people. We tell the truth. how we handle business transactions, how we deal with family members, how we think about all kinds of things. Be truth tellers. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead. Why? It wasn't because they withheld the gift. It's because they lied and said that they gave it all when they had only given some. It's a big deal to God. Honesty and integrity should define the Christian. It should define us as God's people. We should be known as as honest Abe, like the people who can be counted on. You give your word and a good firm handshake, that should be good enough for the Christian. Now, we live in a day where that's almost like a wishful dream. But in the Christian, in their life, it counts still. And it shines, friends. It shines in our day. We are to put people before profits. People before profits. You might say it this way. People, then product, right? To bless the people, and then profit. At the end of the line is profit. It's good to make money. Don't get me wrong. You want to make money. There's nothing wrong with, with With seeking to make a product that's going to bless people and then selling that product at a profit. But what comes before and what comes after? According to God, His people are to esteem love and people ahead of profit in our transactions. Number three, love is kind. Love is kind. So love is generous, love is honest. And love is kind. Verse 14. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. What an awesome verse this is. You can just see this play out like you're sitting on the, in the marketplace, right? And here comes a blind man and he's coming on through the marketplace and some guy, right? to to impress his buddies, just sticks his foot out and and trips the blind guy. And everybody laughs. Ah, look at that. That was funny. And God says, that's not the way my people are to behave. You should fear me even if you don't fear the blind man jumping up and whacking you in the face with his stick because he can't see you. He doesn't know who tripped him or to curse the deaf. They can't hear you, but I tell you who can. God can. He takes it seriously. God's people are to be kind. Find a way to help, not to harm. It begs the question, how far am I willing to go for a laugh? I have transgressed this thoroughly, In my younger years, I still have moments in junior high. (laughs) I was so immature. Oh man, if I could go back and just wring my own neck. You know, there's this kid in my class and he ran funny, right? He was a great dude. He loved Jesus, but he ran funny. And I thought it was, well, I thought it was funny to make fun of him. And I really hurt his feelings. And, And I still, it just echoes in myself, I feel bad about that. Why did I do that? What was in me that felt joy and laughter and, and affirmed in belittling him, a brother in Christ? It's not okay, kids. It's, it's, not, it's not okay. To mock, to belittle, to humiliate, to put to friends. This happens in families right parents will do this to their own children it should not happen it's not funny it's not you may laugh you may even grow kind of callous and you're like oh that's just the way dad jokes or that's just the way my older brother jokes no that's not okay not for the believer we should be those that are kind if we see a weakness or vulnerability, or someone who does something different than us, we should be moving toward them in kindness, not standing off and pointing out their weakness. Hmm. Kingdom kindness. We should be helpers of the weak. like We're the people who jump out of our seat to go and help the blind guy negotiate the street. Not stick a foot out to trip him. Now, I don't imagine that most of us are spending our days tripping blind people, okay? But the principle applies. Apply, build it out. It's all over the place. And it's so calm. In the workplace, you know that one guy? He's just a little different. So easy to sit around with the guys, right? Oh yeah. Well, what's his name, man? He's, here he comes. Oh friends stand out love in holiness in kindness you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man you shall fear the lord uh, you shall fear your god i am the lord this is an interesting thing that he weaves in i put it under the category of kindness how do we esteem those who are older in our midst It's so easy for a younger generation to look at those in front of them and in pride judge them as ignorant or irrelevant or stuck in the way things used to be. I learned early on in ministry how easy it is to do this and how foolish it is. God is so good to bless our church with Oaks of righteousness that give shade in patriarchal wisdom to bless as we move in this generation. We need gray hairs. We are to honor the elderly. Honor them. Esteem them. Don't put them down or write them off. Young people especially, listen close. This is a tendency, and it's a tendency that as you get older, you will notice is foolish. Don't fall for the ways of the world. Listen to this. First Timothy, Paul writes. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. What what an interesting thing. The way even we would respond to an older man who is maybe even out of line is not the same way we would interact with a younger man who is out of line. There is a coming alongside, a care with our words, to honor and show respect, even in the way we would seek to correct. Hmm. Younger men, treat them as brothers. Older women, as mothers. Kids, you can learn from this as well and younger women as sisters in all purity. So much wisdom in just that one little sentence. Here's one. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Whoa. In a day where the old are increasingly viewed as unable to contribute to society, Written off as just a burden on the system, where euthanasia is increasingly popular. And frankly, sometimes even in hospice situations, the morphine dose is just maxed. I have a problem with that. God is the one who brings life to a finish. We are not to manipulate that. There is a way to love. There is a call to provide. There is a call to protect. The weak in kindness, bless, be faithful. It's it's hard. Sometimes it gets tough. It's love. It's holiness. It's what believers are called to. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. There it is for the first time. Why? What's he calling to mind? Well, Israel, don't forget. By the way, you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Don't, remember, don't forget that, right? You, you guys were strangers. You were welcomed in, open arms. You were given Goshen. Now, after a few years, things went south. Yes, you ended up as slaves. Don't forget that either. Don't repeat that. I grew up in Yakima. The migrant workforce in Yakima was everywhere. And so was the prejudice. I saw both good and bad. Growing up. I heard people even in my home church. Mention and 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 call names of Hispanic people who worked so hard. And I saw others who treated them as themselves. They took care of them. They paid them a good wage. They made sure that their accommodations were not just ramshackle. They they took care of, they fixed them up. They had needs, they did what they could to help out. Friends, We have migrant workforce in our county, too. There are people who are in the margins all around us. And here's the thing. You won't always see them. They don't tend to be the Antifa types who are making the news and and, breaking windows and blowing. They're, They're the people who tend to be just largely just looked over, walked past, completely missed. But not for us. Not for God's people. Kingdom love that moves into the margins. What's it going to look like? How can we do this? This week, you may have an opportunity to engage someone who others are just walking past, stepping over, and God gives you a chance to show his love. A chance to express holiness in your life. Hmm. Number four, love is impartial. This is so important in our day. Verse 15. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Hmm. What an interesting thing. The call is for justice. We are to be impartial as Christians. That's what love does. Love is impartial. So look at this. Don't be partial to the rich man and don't be partial to the poor man. They're both in view in this verse. Well, let's play it out. Let's say that there's two people in our church, a rich man and just a, a, just a newlywed young guy. They, I mean, he's basically broke and he's dying for work and the rich guy hires the young guy and then some kind of dispute comes out of that arrangement. And then all of a sudden, let's say they're in my office. How am I going to respond? Partiality runs this track. Well, I mean, you don't want to offend the rich guy because he, he's important, right? You, you don't want to make him mad. That could impact the church. Wrong. That is of no concern in this equation. It cannot be in the mix. It's one of the reasons I don't see any financials. I don't want to know. I don't want to have any sense of giving or financial participation whatsoever. That's the other guys, uh, the elders, they take care of that stuff. My goal is to remain completely impartial in these works. But the flip side is also equally important. Let's just say... I look at this young kid and I say, oh man, this guy's broke, man. He needs some help. This guy's super rich. I just say, give him some money. That's not justice either, is it? To be partial to a man because he is poor is not justice. Redistribution, my friends, needs to learn from Leviticus 19. You don't simply punish rich people because they're rich. You don't simply just empower and give money to poor people just because they're poor. The the heart of the matter is what is just, what is right, what was the offense, and how do we address that? Look at Lady Justice. Have you ever noticed this? Look at the blindfold on Lady Justice. Justice is to be blind, not calculating. Well, who's going to give a bribe? someone going to pay me off? Who's going to benefit me if I rule in this way or this way? Or who do I think deserves this or this? That doesn't matter. Justice should be blind. The scales in one hand, the sword in the other. Hmm. I fear that our nation is forgetting some of these basic foundational principles. Love is shown in the upholding of justice by the rule of law. This one, just, just apply this in Washington State. And, and, and just ah. It's love. It's love to uphold but you are loving people when you uphold the law. This is not a hard combination. This idea of, what is it, endless benevolence, unlimited compassion. It's not love to ignore the law, to ignore criminal behavior. You are not loving anybody. You are harming them. You are empowering criminals, and it shouldn't happen. That's not loving. It's not good, and it doesn't have anything that rings true of justice. Love, my friends, is in fact shown in the upholding of justice by the rule of law. And the people who are to lead that charge, I believe, should be God's people. We are to be concerned about the law, not just about others upholding the law, but our own selves as those who seek to obey the law and who care to uphold the system of enforcement of the law not to criminalize those who are loving people enough to enforce clear and established laws. Number five, love is merciful. Love is merciful. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. What do you do instead? This is beautiful. Don't hate your brother in your heart, but reason frankly with him. Reason with him. Talk to him, talk it out. Lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but here it comes. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's the verse that Jesus quoted over and over. Hmm. His mission was a mission of mercy. It was a mission of kindness. And love. And sacrifice. And his people are to be defined by the same thing. Bitterness, hatred, and revenge have no home in the heart of a Christian. They will tear you up. And they will cause you to denounce your own testimony. Your words about the love of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ are completely undercut by your holding of bitterness and anger and resentment. They have no place in our lives. That doesn't mean that they don't exist or that they just disappear. We have to kill these things. Paul said violently so, right? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you sin, gouge it out. You've got to identify the sin in your life and go to war on it. So Christian, did you come this morning and you're harboring bitterness? You have an enemy to fight. Go to war. Don't harbor bitterness. Don't harbor anger, hatred. Don't seek revenge. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Self-love and Love of neighbor. I said at the beginning, that some people just completely butcher this. Jesus is not saying, you poor, low self-esteem people, you just need to learn to love yourself. That is not what he is saying here. He is not concerned that we don't love ourselves. We naturally love ourselves. That is in us. It is natural. We are natural born lovers of self. And he calls us to a kingdom love, which is not natural. It is only gospel-empowered. It flows from the good news that Jesus took our sin upon Himself and died in our place. And it calls us to do the same for others when they don't deserve it because neither did we. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Hmm. Paul in Philippians 2, do nothing, do nothing From rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Take that, self-esteem gospel, right? Dwell on that for a little while. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. Now, to be clear, it's not wrong to look to your own interests, right? That's part of what you have to do to live in this world, but also to the interests of others, and in the order that you consider them before yourself. That's the kind of sacrificial love he calls us to. It's not natural, friends. This is not in us naturally. We have to depend and pray and work hard in the power to foster this kind of love for our neighbor. The source of this kind of love flows from Jesus Christ, he has shown us this love. He is the only way we will love this way. Now, I'm going to skim over these last few verses, not because they're insignificant, but because we're almost out of time. Okay? So here we go.
1: You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave, assigned to another man and not yet ransomed or given her freedom, A distinction shall be made. They shall not be put to death, because she was not free. But he shall bring his compensation to the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord for his sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven for the sin that he has committed. When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you, it must not be eaten. And in the fourth year all its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year you may eat of its fruit, to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord your God. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God.
0: Verse 37 finishes this amazing section with the final call You shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them and do them. Not just know about them, but live by them. Do them. I am the Lord. Hmm. There is so much in these verses. Let me just give you a sense for what love delights to obey looks like. Love delights to obey the Lord in all of these ways. My cattle, God has an opinion about how I do those. My crops, he tells me how I'm to handle those. That's not, that's not just my call. God decides those things too. I mean, the tree thing, that's, that's an amazing thing. Think of planting an apple tree. You wait three years. On the fourth year, all the apples, they're the Lord's. On the fifth year, eat up. Why? Because God has spoken. That's what he called his people to. Now, I don't think that's still in application today, and that's part of what makes this section interesting is there's principles that flow out of these things while at the same time the ceremonial law is finished in a number of these ways. So principles of this, even clothing, we should call Call ourselves out from the culture around us. Now, we don't have to worry about having mixed, uh, you know, cotton and polyester or whatever in our clothes anymore. But the principle does apply, doesn't it? Especially in terms of modesty, how we think about what we wear. God has a say in that. We've covered this up close. My sexuality matters to the Lord. He has rights over my body. He has a right to say this is good and beautiful. And this is sin and unacceptable. My food, the food that I eat, how I eat it, when I eat it, we should think about that. Now, in terms of ceremonial law, that's gone. But what about the sin of gluttony, right? That plays out still to this day. God has a say in our food. God has a say in how we respond to our fears. So often in this day, if you were afraid of something, you would consult a medium, or a sorcerer or a necromancer and God says that's out you're not trusting me don't go there come to me pray to me look to me depend upon me my body pagan customs of the cutting of their arms or the tattooing for the dead those are not to be practiced among my people God says now just give a pause on this that doesn't necessarily mean if you have a tattoo you're living in sin okay ceremonial law finished but principle applies right do not conform to pagan practices of the day if you're going to get a tattoo make sure you do the work necessary to be clear that that is done for the glory of god not for the dead that's an important distinction and i would say with great care and wisdom because it's pretty permanent you know My children, God has a say, and we think about dedicating these kids. Ultimately, He is their Father. We point them to Him. The way that we parent, the way that we do these things. I mean, you think you talk about close to the heart. When you start engaging parenting styles, oh man, like you, can, you can address some, some things, but if you start telling me how to parent my kids, whoa, hey, God has a say in all of that. And my weekend. When He says, My Sabbath is to be kept. He means it. Now, what do we know? Sabbath was a Saturday. We're here on Sunday. What are we doing? The Lord in his resurrection has adjusted our day of worship. We are not bound by ceremony any longer. However, the principle remains, doesn't it? It goes all the way back to creation. Six days you shall labor. On the seventh, you shall rest. There is to be for us, as much as possible, this routine that we establish for our families. We come. We worship on Sundays. This matters to the Lord, and here we are. Let's go. Now, don't live in the cold mechanics of it because you have to. You're supposed to live because you're there, and you're saying, where else would we be? We love him. We love his people. We have a mission. We got a purpose. We're here. We don't want to miss this. You see the difference? cold legalism, pharisaical rule-keeping, or delight to do your commandments. I love to be here under your word. So our weekends are shaped by God and his call to obedience. It's all love, friends. It's love, love that obeys. Jesus said it this way, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. What an amazing statement. If you keep my commandments, you love me. If you don't keep my commandments, you've got a love problem. There are a number of Christians. That's uh, that's our church frog. Hey, frog's got to sing too. He's glorifying God, right? Nothing wrong with that. I kept hearing this and I'm like, what is that? I love it. Yeah, get the safety team on that. If you go to church and you go home week after week and you say, I love God, but nothing that I hear on Sunday has anything to do with the way I live my week. Then John would say, Jesus would say, no, you don't love God. It is dangerously possible to be very religious and very dead in your soul. And at this church, we want to take that very seriously. Very, very seriously. We've got to be careful. Don't just play games. Love him and obey him. Love him and obey him. Now, response, just these five things. Look at these five expressions of love. No, I won't say the five love languages. I'm not going there. But five expressions of love, deliberate generosity, words of truth, acts of kindness, impartial judgments, and merciful attitudes. Friends, that's our mission this week. That's our mission. Let's pray. Oh Lord, lead us in this. We pray that you would equip us to love all the more because of the way that you have loved us, God the way that you have shown transforming love through Jesus Christ. We pray that this kind of love would define our lives, and all the more so as we move into this week. Oh God, I give you praise for the many expressions of love that I see that characterize this congregation already. So much underway, but Lord, there's more. There's farther to go. You are the very definition of love and so we pray as we seek to be holy as you are that we would shine forth that kind of love to your glory for the good of all those around us that they may see our good works, feel our love from the heart and find Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.